Hey everyone, John and Andrew here. Welcome to the podcast, everybody. On today's episode, following your intuition, questioning conventional wisdom, and getting high on Advil, this is Obstacle Course. Let's go. So John, on today's episode, we have Jill Lawrence. She's someone you've met through yeah, Toastmasters, through Toastmasters, which for those of you who aren't familiar, it's an opportunity to confront your probably your greatest fear. Statistically, it's your greatest fear, public speaking. It has nothing to do with improving bread. No. <laughs> I was very confused when you started talking about it. I was like, I thought you didn't even really eat much bread. But you're a Toastmaster? Exactly. Yeah, nothing to do with that. No, it helps you communicate better, as you can tell. I need more work. But um, she she stood up and she had a five-minute speech to give. And she talked about an episode she had, a very terrifying episode, where her where she was received some conventional medical wisdom that went against her whole intuition. And, and she had... She was in a in a very vulnerable situation of wondering what to do with that information. And it connected to something Angie and I experienced with one of our own kids where Alexa came home one summer after spending a lot of time just kind of hanging out with, with friends in the woods. That sounds so weird. <laughs> the Hunger Games. They just, they just walked away. <laughs> Building a fort or something. No, yeah, they were, they were hanging out uh, at a family's house in the woods, apparently. Anyways... Moving forward, uh, so she, she came home and she had this very discerning mark on her arm. Kind of looks like a bullseye, and you know you might just think, oh, you know, probably just like some normal bug bite. It's not a big deal. But if it's a bullseye, then it is a massive deal because it's a tick bite, and a bullseye means it's early symptoms of Lyme disease. For anyone who doesn't learn know about Lyme disease. Um, it's it's quite quite a frightening thing because there's there's no cure for it, and the symptoms are essential are essentially fatigue, um, extreme muscle pain, fogginess. Yeah, it's a lifelong thing, and it's yeah. quite prevalent and, and a growing concern in the part of the world that we live in. When a lot of people do spend a significant time outside in nature, and apparently ticks thrive here. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. We went to our family doctor, came in, and we said, "Hey, we, you know, we did our did our research, just like you know, you'll you'll learn. Jill spent a lot of time researching as well, and and we we thought it was probably Lyme disease. And the doctor just was so dismissive. She was like, "That's not Lyme disease. Like, just kind of said it like that. Like, you you know, what what did you go on WebMD? It's not Lyme disease, and and basically just said it's going to go away. Don't worry about it. We we kind of left feeling you know reeling a bit, right? Because because when you, when you're vulnerable and you're coming to a professional and you're basically putting your whole trust in them and then they just sort of say eh. you know you wonder are we making too big of a deal of this or should we make a big deal about this well good thing i married a woman with great intuition because she said no i really think that it could be lyme disease let's go get a second opinion and we did and it, it, the difference was just insane because the, the doctor walks in He's like, all right, you know, he has this folder, you know, all right, all right, what are we doing? He looks down, he's like, oh, she probably got Lyme disease. It's like mm. literally like that fast. Wow. One of my takeaways is how could there be this much disparity in the medical community? Yeah, and that's just in the medical community. And we, we touch on this somewhat in the podcast because there is a, a lot of discussion about when should you take 
the opinion of a, a doctor, but it can extend to any authority figure. And when do you just take it and obey, yeah. go along with it? Yeah. And when do you consider other options? And we're not sitting here and, and saying, don't listen to the medical system. No. We're not saying, don't go to the doctor. And that, that never really comes up in the, in the podcast. But th- it does come up in society in general. There's the anti-vax movement, which yeah. is a growing concern. And we're seeing diseases that had been eradicated through vaccinations come back to the forefront because people have this growing skepticism mm-hmm. and mistrust of authority, which is breeding in our culture and in its interfering and causing harm. So we're, we're, we're dancing around that. And it's a, it's a fascinating conversation. And Jill does rely on her intuition and does a lot of research on her own and comes to a conclusion that goes against the initial diagnosis and recommendation of, of a medical doctor who, just as Jill was doing the best that she could do in mm-hmm. her situation as a mother, that doctor was doing what he felt was the best thing that, that he could do from his situation as a trained professional. Yeah, and exactly. I, I think the motivation was pure of our doctor as well. Obviously, they care about the health of our child. It's just there can be different opinions. And so questioning conventional wisdom is actually a very appropriate thing to do. And it's something that's a little too easy to do in the age of Google and WebMD. So we really have to be careful. If you've ever gone on WebMD, you're probably con- convinced you're going to die very shortly. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so you, you do have to not just use intuition. And we do have a great conversation about what is intuition. Mm-hmm. Is it just closing your eyes and, and you know, hoping that what you're feeling is true? Is it just about following feelings? Absolutely not. Uh, it's a multi-layered science and part of our humanity where we use knowledge and experience and research and then move forward on based on all that, what we think is right. Yeah, and we're in the age of information and we mm-hmm. have more of it at our fingertips than, than ever has happened before. It's best not to just listen to whoever's shouting the loudest. No. That's probably somebody with an agenda of their own and, and maybe not somebody that is has your best interests in mind. For sure. It's a fascinating dialogue that's taking place on the impact of the choices that we have to make and how hard they can be. And I think one of the great takeaways that everyone will hear is when we face that fear, it's so important that we don't let it consume us, but we continue to find clarity and most importantly, take action with a positive intention. And Jill has an amazing voice and her perspective is is incredibly valuable and I, I think you listeners are really going to enjoy hearing it yeah it's going to be a great episode hope you guys enjoy it so here's my charming story of the morning okay I never ever take Advil it's kind of a thing with me mm. even though I need to because I'm like 42 and just generally sore <laughs> and I work out a lot of times and Angie's always trying to get me to take Advil and I'm like, no, I will not bow to Advil. Well, this morning I woke up and a funny thing happened. I attempted to walk and my left leg was like, no, not today. not going to happen. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was like there was a, it was like someone was stabbing me in my left hip and uh, it wasn't great. 
And so Angie's like, you're going to take an Advil? I'm like, no, I'll go stretch. Well, I did all the stretches and I was having these weird spasm attacks. You know, when you get like muscle spasms and you're just like, eh. But you're trying to have a brave phrase at the same time. "Eh." I don't think that's possible. (laughs) Making that noise and having a brave phrase. It's not. It's not. Right. And so here I am. Here I am. And then I'm thinking, okay, I just need to put down my pride. Uh, We'll have an important episode to record. I'm going to be sitting for a while. I should take an Advil. And Angie has these heart, real harsh neck problems. She has to take pretty strong Advil every once in a while. I was like, don't give me the major stuff. Give me the lowest number. Is that 200? Okay, I'll take 200. But it was a gel one. So I was like, yeah, okay, <laughs> I don't know. This is, we'll see. We'll see what happens. I need to take it. I can't take it on an empty stomach. So I had a smoothie, took my pill, and I am feeling like I took drugs. <laughs> <laughs> I'm such I don't know if it means I'm a wimp or just have an amazing metabolism or if I'm just weird hmm. but I'm just like as I was driving down the Malahat I was just like I do not have any concerns whatsoever <laughs> this is amazing and my body was like buzzing are you sure it was Advil? <laughs> <laughs> yeah I know yeah. does Angie prank you on a regular basis or yeah. is this unusual? it's just crazy right? It, this this relationship I have with like medicine I just don't like to take any pills, but it's doing its job. Like I can now, like the listeners can't see right now. I'm doing these weird stretches with my hip right now and Mm -hmm. it's very off-putting, but (laughs) I I can do that right now and it's pretty awesome. So yeah, here's the thing. Yeah. I fall in the same category as you. I don't also take, I kind of wondered. Yeah. But if I have to, because I do also suffer from back pain, Mm -hmm. I overdo it if I take the drug. And I see with these stretches you're doing right now that you might be in pain when your Advil wears off. <laughs> <laughs> because they, they don't look normal. What about you, Andrew? Are you an Advil guy? No. Yeah. See, I none am. of us are. We all yeah. hate it, but we all secretly take it. Kind of like eating McDonald's. Mm, yeah. Good call. I take it if I can't sleep. That's about the only right. thing. If I'm in too much pain to sleep, then then I'll pop one. But I remember a couple of weeks ago I came down with like a stupid virus yeah, for like was, 48 hours. That was brutal. And that was the first time I'd probably taken any sort of pain pills in, in a couple of years. Um, but, but don't you notice if you never take it and then you do take it, it's like, wow, that really works. It works. Yeah. But if you take it all the time, your body's like, yeah, we know it's yeah. an old story. We, whatever. And this kind of actually relates if the listeners is like, oh, is this going to be an Advil episode? <laughs> not, not really. But in a way, we are going to be talking about conventional healthcare a little bit mm-hmm. and, you know, our relationship with it and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, there's a nice little weird trailer for that. Yeah. Yeah, we'll jump into that in, in a few minutes here. A few minutes, yeah. Um, wanted to start with something as well. Not Well, continue with something apart from John's weird story about driving under the influence <laughs> I thought it was adorable but weird is yeah that's probably better it, it was I think it's important to know there was about an hour drive on the highway on one of Canada's sketchiest roads where John's just feeling like he's sailing I was on drugs yeah <laughs> and I repeat I was not on drugs well yeah. anyways moving on yeah. so Jill thanks for being here we're, we're excited to have you on the podcast and mm-hmm. Uh, I, I want to start with something that's hopefully not too self-indulgent, but uh, you recently had a post on Instagram, I believe, uh, where you quoted our podcast and mm-hmm. and talked mm-hmm. about how life often isn't about being fearless, it's about fearing less. And 
something that we know that you kind of lean into the fear and participate in is Toastmasters. And public speaking is often the number one fear when people do studies. People are more afraid of public speaking than anything, including death. So what (laughs) inspires you to kind of lean into that fear and do something scary like Toastmasters? A good place to start would be goals that I set for myself. So one of my big goals right now is to one day do a TEDx talk. Mm. And I don't want to be the person that sits around and says, one day I'm going to do that. One day, one day. And then I'm 80 years old and I never did it. So I set Mm. mini goals along the way that are more achievable. And a mini goal for me was to join Toastmasters and Mm. figure out how to public speak, figure out that the pauses Mm -hmm. are okay when Mm -hmm. I gather my thoughts. And I feel like I have accomplished that for the time being. There's still a lot more that I can learn about public speaking, but Toastmasters has really helped me get over the fear of standing in front of people. Another aspect of it was networking. I'm a business owner. Part of owning a business is networking and marketing your business. And I would rather sit behind my computer and stay to myself. Mm -hmm. But I had to throw myself out there and I had to be comfortable walking into a room of strangers and figuring out what to talk about and knowing that there will be pauses and how to fill those pauses and let it flow naturally. Amazing. Do you remember what what it was like the first time that you stood up in front of that group and, and spoke? Do you remember what you talked about? Do you remember how you felt? Yes, it's crystal clear because as a guest, I was not supposed to be called on. (laughs) (laughs) However, there was a few people there that didn't know I was a guest and I was called on to stand up in front of everyone on the very first time that I was there and talk about my favorite color for fall. And I happened to be wearing an orange sweater. And up until recently, I did not like the color orange, but I have embraced it. (laughs) So yeah, I stood up there in front of everybody. And I guess the goal at the time was to speak up to two minutes, but I was nervous as all heck and sweating through every pore in my body. So I went for 46 (laughs) seconds (laughs) and was very proud of myself at the end of it. I ended up winning one of the daily awards that they, or weekly awards they give out and felt really good about it. And that gave me the encouragement to go back. Okay, I did it the first time I can do this again. And again and again and again and well in full disclosure I'm, I'm in toastmasters with jill and what she's describing is something called table topics so what mm-hmm. table topics is it's basically most people's worst nightmare yeah that's true right <laughs> especially for a, for a new person you're just sitting there and all of a sudden they say okay we need somebody to talk about tell of a time when you were doubting yourself and then they just look at you and yeah. say, go. Like and you just stand up contact. and you're like, how about right now? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now I'm doubting myself. But you have to talk for two minutes. And then meanwhile, while you're trying to like come up with this material off the top of your head, someone's like, oh, they said, um, oh, they yeah. said, ah. Uh. And they're no, they actually don't call marking. it out, though. <laughs> no, they don't. They wait to the end. And then also, you know, they tell you at the end, okay, you were two minutes and 33 seconds. And it's, it's you know, you might if you're listening you might think it sounds awful but but what it's what it's teaching you to do is to be deliberate with your words mm-hmm. and to be like you said okay with pauses the power of the pause and that <laughs> wasn't that cool listeners <laughs> see what we did there <laughs> pauses can be great and 
Jill's not going to say this, but let me let me tell you, she's like the best speaker there. I mean, it's ridiculous. That is not you know? true. No, she I am is. still so she nervous is. every time. Yeah, but it just doesn't mean you're not the best. That's the thing. Like the best people in every industry are nervous and anxious before they do what they do, mm-hmm. and that's why they're so good. And you know, Jill, John's not just saying this in this room. He has actually previously said this oh, yeah. before you came on. Although he put a side note on saying, "Well, I'd probably be in the conversation." <laughs> <laughs> Full disclosure and all. No, but yeah, she's she's so good. Thank you. So TEDx. Ah, yeah, I like, was going to go there too. Go back to TEDx for a second. Like, not a lot of people make a goal to speak on one of the largest stages that we have right now online. Do you have a certain topic that that you want a message for the world, or do you just want to be in that space? I have a topic. Yeah, and it didn't start that way. It started that. I was watching a mentor do it and I thought, hey, I could totally do that. Mm-hmm. How am I going to do that? Let's make all these little mini goals to get there. Mm-hmm. And out of that, as I said, Toastmasters was one of them. And my very first speech, which they call an icebreaker at Toastmasters, has to be about yourself. And so I made it about myself in the fact that, yes, I'm flawed. Yes, I am fearful. But there are so many great things about being this way that push me to limits that I didn't know that I was capable of. Mm -hmm. I called it extraordinary as a play on words that I don't necessarily think I'm extraordinary, but I do think I'm extraordinary along with everybody else who thinks that they're ordinary but can achieve these extraordinary things that they never thought possible if they look past the fear and push themselves to fear less. And that's why your words just totally resonated with me. And I was like, wow, those two guys, they're so smart. <laughs> well, that was Andrew. And that's why he's smiling so much right now. Well, he's he's not oft quoted in media. That's true. Yeah, He should be, but he's not we're, oft. We're getting there. And most people don't say oft, but I just use it three times. That's fine. <laughs> it worked. Yeah. yeah. And so... Like you said, you're you're a small business owner. Um, you're also a proud mother. Of mm-hmm. talk, talk to us about your kids for a second. How, how old are they? And this is ultimately going to kind of lead to where we're one one of your major obstacles you've you've uh, experienced in the last few years. So, tell us about your kids. Okay, I'm going to start off from when I was a kid. Perfect. When I was a kid, I wanted to be a mom. That was my thing. I had no idea what I was going to do for work. I really didn't care about a career. I didn't want to go to post-secondary school. I wanted to have kids. I wanted to have children. That's that's what I felt like I was born to be, a mom. So we had kids young. Well, I mean young these days. I was 25 when we had our first. They are now seven and nine and a half, and they are my absolute pride and joy. I love my babies so much. Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong. There are days. <laughs> oh, there are days if you are a parent, there you know. There are, yeah. There are days. But those human beings are just the light of my life. And they have names? Or do you not want to say their names? No, I don't actually. They don't have names. I call them thing one and thing two. <laughs> that works. <laughs> yeah. That works. Yes, they're Liam and Isla. Cool. Um, one thing that came up at... Toastmasters last week, one of the discussions in this table topics that we're talking about was, is there a time in life that you remember a distinct switch from one stage of life to the next stage? Mm. And thankfully, it wasn't me that was called on because I would have rambled on and on about all the things I want to say now. (laughs) But it got me thinking that 
right off the top of my head, the very first thing that came to mind was the moment I became a parent and mm -hmm. how like, it's like, oh, snap, like yeah. <laughs> life just got real. Like mm -hmm. you are now an adult. There is no turning back. There's these children that depend on you to be an adult. You don't get Saturdays to sleep in and party with your friends and you know, you're up all through the night and this is adulthood. This is it. You're here. And along with that comes a multitude of worries. And I think it all began the moment we started trying to get pregnant. I worried, are we going to get pregnant? Are we pregnant this month? Oh, no, we didn't get pregnant. Is something wrong? I mean, it only took three months, which in the grand scheme of things is a very short period of time. But there are so many worries that come with mm -hmm. being a parent. And I was speaking to my mom recently saying, Mom, like, does the worrying ever end? And she said, no, it just changes. Mm -hmm. I still worry about you. It just changes. And then ironically, very shortly after, in a conversation with my grandpa, he was talking about worrying about his great grandkids. And mm. I was like, oh, my word. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to worry till the end of time about all these little humans I've created. But I think that's just a fact. That's the way mm. that it goes, which is a little bit ironic because my absolute favorite quote of all time is from Walt Disney and he says worry is a waste of the imagination mm -hmm. and I mm -hmm. absolutely 100% agree with him because all we have is right now and if you're living in right now then there's nothing to worry about but as a human being it is very difficult to only stay in this very moment especially when you have children there are a lot of worries that come along when they're not with you. I mean, I worry when they're at school. I worry when the school bus is driving them across the highway. I worry what I'm feeding them. I worry about what they're watching on TV. Um, but having only right now in this moment, it is a total waste of such a creative device, for lack of a better word, to use our imagination to worry. Well, and worrying would be fine if it helped, mm -hmm. but it never helps. No, it's not helpful. Yeah. But we still choose to do it all the so time. Yeah. yeah, all the time. And yeah. choose to. Good word. That's exactly it. We choose mm -hmm. to worry. How do you choose not to worry? Have you learned that yet? I'm working on it. <laughs> I have not found a solution. But okay. that is part of this TEDx that I want to do is to share with the world how I try and live in the moment and how I only try to compare myself to me from yesterday and how I choose to not worry when possible mm -hmm. and and is it possible to change that worry into something else like really where that worry is coming from is is love and mm -hmm. wanting to take care and make sure that the people who you care about are are in in good health and in in a good position so is it possible to change that worry into something that's maybe a little more constructive or useful I think it is possible. I think it takes a lot of brain power. It takes a lot of mental and emotional and even physical power to live in the now and to try and change that worry into something more positive. In November of 2015 is when worry kind of came and smacked me right in the face mm. up until that point any worry that i had had about the kids was a total waste of my imagination and like like i say i mean the bus driving across the highway and what happens if the bus slides off the road is completely irrational but 
November of 2015 is when we were hit with something, an obstacle, as you could call it, Mm. that was a lot more real and that caused a lot more worry than I even knew that I was capable of. So my daughter and I were getting ready for my son's first ever Christmas concert. He was in kindergarten. We were both so excited to go see it. I am that crazy mom that shows up for every single show. So they play it twice, sometimes three times, and I'm there for every single one. Full full (laughs) disclosure, I love Christmas concerts. I miss them so much. My kids are like 20, 18, 16 now, so I haven't had a Christmas concert in 10 years. I said to Angie, even this year, we live across from an elementary school, would it be weird and creepy (laughs) if I went to the Christmas concert this year? And she's like, absolutely. (laughs) I cannot do that. People will not believe you're a grandpa yet. (laughs) And they'll probably be like, he probably doesn't even have kids, so what are you doing here? Is he the janitorial staff? (laughs) Can we mom. call the police? <laughs> you just start cleaning but the floor. In the I hear you. I love it. It's so adorable because the kids yes. are so earnest. Yeah. And they're not at that, you know, self-aware stage yeah. yet where it's like, I probably look a little funny yes. singing this weird song. Little grandma kissing Santa Claus or whatever that song is. And the little ones who like pick you their know, nose or I like, know. you know, turn around. Or just like start punching the person beside <laughs> yeah. them mid-performance. Like, yes. Anyways, yeah, sorry for that aside. But no, that is fine. So, I yeah. totally agree. So you're getting ready. Oh, yes. So we were getting ready and I was doing her hair and I was pulling it up and I noticed a bald spot on the back of her head. And it wasn't like the hair was thinning in this area or she, you know, it looked like the hair was falling out. There was a spot about the size of a quarter completely bald mm. on the back of her head. And I was like, hmm, this doesn't look good I mean maybe she was brushing her own hair but and got it caught but that like it wouldn't be completely bald like that and I was going through all of these maybe it's this maybe it's this so I did what a lot of people do I consulted my mother first Mm -hmm. mom look at this what's happening my mom's like hmm you need to go to the doctor as soon as possible and I was like oh dear this is like when you call the 811 number and they're like we can't help you go to emergency right now <laughs> which takes this worry that you're trying to suppress mm-hmm. and then say oh so there is grounds for me to be worried yes right? it lights a fire under yeah, it and I'm like sure. okay we're going to the doctor right this moment so by the time we got to the doctor a few days had passed and that one spot had grown into four spots and they all varied in size the largest one being about two quarters side by side and I was in full panic mode, like, what is happening? Isla was three at the time. She was just under four. Hmm. And um, it was scary. It was so scary. What was the scariest part? Like, what were you specifically fearing? Not knowing what it was, hmm. not knowing the answer. Hmm. I feel like when crazy things happen, people automatically go to cancer. Cancer's like mm. the, ah, mm-hmm. you're going to die. Mm-hmm. And so my rational mind was like, she would not be losing her hair right now if it was cancer. But my irrational mind was like, it could be anything. Did you go on WebMD, Jill? Um, Did you? <laughs> for the first time ever, yes. I spent a lot of time okay. on Google, which I know, I know. I know it myself. John, Don't do it. John's shaking his head, but how... How many times recently have you been on web? I try and stay off that because everything's everything's cancer in the end or some horrible thing, right? It's like, do you feel nausea? Well, I do now. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have a headache? Yeah, I think I do have a headache. You're gonna die. Yeah. Yeah. Why is it that we like submit to the worst case scenario? I know. So it's that worry. It's that imagination that 
we can't control at times. Exactly. The thing we can't control. It, mm-hmm. it, but there must be some sort of survival mechanism that's ingrained in us that, mm-hmm. like, let's think of the worst possible mm-hmm. thing that it could be, and then let's start working backwards from mm-hmm. that. Well, it's the old part of our brain, right? It's got to keep us alive. It, it finds any threat, mm-hmm. and he's like, we must neutralize this threat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's how the voice sounds in my head anyways. Yeah. That also sounds <laughs> like a lot of other voices that you've demoed today. <laughs> Uh, One interesting thing with that, my son suffered from anxiety for a good portion of his life. Mm -hmm. And we took him to a child counselor who specialized in anxiety. And she would have us talk him through by saying, like, for example, the first day of school. Okay, you're going into grade four now. You've been through. This is your fifth year starting the school year. What is the worst thing that could possibly happen and then he sits there and he thinks about it, you know, and he doesn't usually give an answer because he probably doesn't really understand what the worst thing that could happen. But then what's the best thing that could happen? And he comes up with, I get, you know, my favorite teacher and all my best friends in my class. And then we come to the conclusion, what's the most likely thing that's going to happen? Mm. And then he settles on that. That mm. that really helps him normalize what's happening and realize the best and worst case scenario are pretty unlikely, but the most viable scenario that's going to happen is exactly what we have said you've been through this five times now you know what to expect you're going to get a new teacher but you know all the teachers in the school you're going to get new friends in your class but you know all the kids in your grade so it's not going to be that bad i love that what is most likely but what i also love about that is the heart of anxiety is you have this dread Mm -hmm. that you put are trying to push away and you don't take the time to sit down and follow it all the way down mm-hmm. the rabbit hole and say, okay, so worst case scenario, say a, a kid makes fun of me. Okay, let, let's imagine that for a second. So they make fun of you. What would you say? They follow it all the way down. All the way, and in the end, oh, I, I could handle that. Mm-hmm. It's not so bad. And that's the anxiety you know, method of diffusing it. But because you push it away, it grows and grows and mm-hmm. grows and grows and grows. Mm-hmm. Right? And then... So that's great. Yeah, it's it's called fear setting. It's uh, it's right. part of Stoic philosophy, and it's a tactic you can use when when you're going into an unknown scenario. And I apologize, we've kind of like sidetracked from your story, but and we're going to get back to it in just a second. <laughs> okay. But it it can be a really useful tactic when you're g- planning a new adventure or starting a new job, and you go through okay, what is actually the worst case scenario, and, and then how will I react to that? And what that gives us is if we do encounter that we have we already have a plan mm-hmm. so and if we don't then that's fine we mm-hmm. we will continue sailing in the right direction but if we sail into a storm we've already planned in advance for what might happen so mm-hmm. being aware of that worst case scenario isn't always a bad thing well and the new york times just came out with this uh, this study they did of teenagers and the number one concern teenagers have today anxiety whoa number one like above like bullying and above like drugs and alcohol and you know teenage pregnancy and all these things that probably older generations would say oh this is probably their biggest concern it's anxiety and depression wow and it's and it's i think it's partly due to we live in such an accessible world of scary information Mm -hmm. and the kids are always scrolling past it and are not talking about it not able to dialogue with anyone about it. Mm-hmm. So they have these worries like you were talking about these as parents and you know, we have like a million worries all the time. What if the you know what if the bus crashes? What if this happens? But but we don't 
take the time to stop it and say, okay, but what if it did? You know, well, the likelihood is small, first of all, but if it did, you know, there's trained people there and, and you follow it through and you're like, and in the end, I could handle it. And especially for children. I mean, oh, man. I found at the very beginning of his anxiety, I would say, you don't need to worry about that. Right. But like to a child, I mean, his worry seems so small to me, but telling him he didn't need to worry. Well, why? Why does he not need to worry? So he would just continue worrying. And it got to the point where he, when he was in kindergarten in grade one, he would actually grab onto my clothes and the teacher would have to pry him off of me and pull him into the classroom and I would slam the door and run away. And mm. I mean, now that mm. I say that out loud, it kind of sounds like torture, no, but, no. <laughs> but that's the way that we got through it at the time. And then we got these amazing tools from this childhood counselor and we've been able to use them now for like two and a half years. And it's been incredible for mm. him. And something that we've been able to implement with my daughter too, um, especially with this alopecia that um, she had, because she was so little, I didn't want it to be something that she was really spending time worrying about. So I tried my hardest to hide my worry and my despair about it and not talk about it a lot in front of her. I mean, she was only three if she... She feeds a lot off of my energy and my emotions. So if I'm being mm-hmm. over the top, which, I mean, I, that's not really the right, right word, but if she sees it in me, then that's going to cause extra anxiety in her. Yeah, at that point, did she, what was her level of awareness? Uh, was she aware of this, the spots that had formed hair missing She had a little bit of awareness about it. She didn't realize the extent of it at the time. She knew that I was doing her hair in certain ways to hide them. Um, And she knew that there was like a treatment plan for what was happening. But she had no idea the stress and anxiety that I had about it. Which is a good thing, I think, because I think it would have caused a lot of stress on her that she didn't necessarily need mainly because we didn't know the cause of it take us through that so you you booked the doctor's appointment mm-hmm, yeah take us through what that what that was like so i'm more of a face my fears head-on type of person so going to the doctor was the first step i mean well second because calling my mom was first <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so the second step calling the doctor we go see the doctor and she's got an idea um, that she thinks it's alopecia areata. And I'm like, what? <laughs> like, what, what, is, right. what is that? I've never heard of it before. I can tell you about the 50,000 other worries I had. I did not know that this was going to have to be one of them. Mm-hmm. So it turns out that alopecia is hair loss and there's different varieties of it. And alopecia areata is basically hair loss in an area, so spotty hair loss. There is alopecia totalis, I don't know why they can't just say total hair loss, but (laughs) they want to make it sound fancy. (laughs) So totalis is losing all your hair, everything. And that that was uh, an option. That Mm. was something that definitely could have happened. And that Mm. was a new worry for me. Great. And now I have to worry about this. And it's possible. I've heard of the condition um, when it doesn't actually grow back as well. Mm -hmm. That can be. That's my cousin. Yeah, my cousin. He just, he lived. 20 plus years and then all of a sudden it was just it just disappeared and and it never came back Mm -hmm. like yeah that wasn't the case here 
No. So the first thing the doctor wanted us to do was to see a pediatrician to get a second opinion. And uh, with the way our healthcare system works, it took a little bit. Mm. So that's where the good old interweb came in. <laughs> and I unfortunately did some Googling. I mean, fortunately, unfortunately, I was right. educating myself on it and learning the good, the bad and the ugly about it and found out a lot of really shocking and upsetting details like there's no known cause mm -hmm. so I'm like awesome now we've got this illness we don't know where it came from so we had to do some digging the kind of obvious things were could it be stress could it be anxiety so I started looking at our family life like is it is it any sort of nutritional stress? Is it something situational? Is it something she overheard? I mean, I think we have a pretty quote unquote normal life. There's not an abundance of fighting in our house. There's not any sort of crazy dynamic. She spends a lot of time with her grandparents. So was it something she overheard with them? We spoke to basically everyone she comes in contact with on a regular basis to find out if they overheard or saw or had an inkling to anything that could have contributed to anxiety or stress. One thing you have to know about Isla is that she is just the happiest child. Like she, she doesn't have worries. She just wakes up every day like this is the day and she is so happy. So to see her going through something like this that she really didn't know a lot about and continued to be her happy-go-lucky self was a blessing for me, but we still didn't know the answer. So through my research, I found out that not only is there not a cause for alopecia, there's also not a cure for alopecia. Mm. So... I started reading other people's stories to find out what they had gone through and what solutions they had found, whether they be temporary or permanent or whether it's a change in their mindset that this is just the way that it is and let's not dwell on it. It's incredible how many people have or have had alopecia in some shape, way or form. The story that stuck with me the most was this gorgeous girl and you could tell by her video that she was gorgeous inside and out and she had alopecia in such a bad way that she had lost all the hair on her head except for a few short kind of patchy thoughts and she went through her story about losing all her hair she she had a boyfriend at the time and he stuck it out with her and supported her and was absolutely incredible to her and she had decided to shave the last spots and to go with a wig and she was so happy by the end of the video and I cried mm -hmm. and I thought well if this is what it's going to come to then I mean Isla is beautiful inside and out and it doesn't matter if she wears a wig or has a bald head mm -hmm. it's not what I envisioned for her it is one of the worst case scenarios but I can be prepared for that. Mm -hmm. So I started doing research into wigs, not that my three-year-old would wear a wig, but at some point if she's gonna have these spots and they're not gonna grow back, then that might be something that we need to 
look into. So I actually found some places here in town that do mm. um, real hair wigs and just kind of put that on the back burner while we waited to see the dermatologist. I found out that another thing that can cause it is nutrition, that if you have like a really poor diet, that it can, I mean, nothing surefire, it can cause it, but I mean, there's people who live off like McDonald's or canned soup and they don't lose their hair. So who really knows? There was no clear direction. Stop looking at my head, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> I don't eat that much McDonald's. <laughs> yeah. So with no reason why it was happening and no solution we were really just left to wait until mm. we could talk to the pediatrician and see what kind of direction she could give us so we saw the pediatrician isla's hair remained about the same she still had these four spots i could do her hair in a way that you couldn't tell i talked to her preschool teachers in case somebody saw them and had questions about it mm. in hindsight it was a blessing that it happened when it did if it was going to happen at all because at three years old you don't really care too much about your appearance and other people don't really care too much about your appearance looking at this video of this girl in her 20s and seeing how it affected the way people saw her and affected her self-esteem broke my heart mm -hmm. i think that was one of the hardest things because I know as a girl and as a woman that self-esteem issues are there a lot of the time without having these types of hindrances. So when they do happen, it's just like an extra difficulty that mm -hmm. you have to deal with. We saw a pediatrician mm -hmm. who confirmed it was alopecia and referred us to a dermatologist for treatment. So again, waiting, more research, more trying to figure out what was happening. Lots of sleepless nights, lots of time researching in the middle of the night what we were going to do. In the meantime, more hair started to fall out. And I remember bathing her and washing her hair. And at that age, she had turned four through that, so she was now four. When I bathed her, she would lay back in the bathtub and I would wash her hair. And every single time she would sing a song that went something like, I love my mom. <laughs> she is the best. And it was just like heart-wrenchingly mm -hmm. cute. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, clumps of her hair were coming out in my hands. And... There were points where I thought, I, I, can't, I can't do this. I mean, she's singing a song about how much she loves me. I am put here to protect her. And I don't know what to do. Mm. Sorry. I feel not equipped. I feel like a child myself. Like, how am I put in this majorly adult situation where I have to, have to make decisions? for her so I talked to my husband and I said I'm I I can't bathe her anymore this is too hard like I I called him in the bathroom that one day and he continued bathing her and I sat outside the bathroom on the floor crying mm -hmm. and another time her brother came in and I said okay it's your turn to get in the bath 
And he looked in the bath and he's like, I don't want to get in the bath. Lila's hair's everywhere. And I mean, it wasn't even that bad. If you, you, I mean, I wouldn't make him get in a hairy bath for crying aloud. <laughs> but that's such a classic little brother oh, or big brother yes. response. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. And I was like, oh, okay. And then I just burst into tears and mm-hmm. fell on the bathroom floor crying. And he's like, okay, I'll get in the bath, yeah. mom. And I'm like, no, no, we'll drain the water. I'll get you new water. It's fine. <laughs> So we finally got to our dermatologist appointment and very matter-of-factly, he said to me, all right, so the course of action is going to be steroids. You have two choices. There are steroid shots for her head and there is a steroid cream that you can apply topically. And like, oh my goodness, the the flood of emotion, the how can you be so matter-of-fact in telling me that? The wanting to scream, are you freaking crazy? Like you want me to put steroid shots Mm -hmm. into my four-year-old daughter's head. What is wrong with you? Yeah, I didn't say any of these things. I only thought them, but I was Mm -hmm. very upset as you can imagine. Mm -hmm. I do remember asking him about the steroid cream and saying, is like, is, doesn't steroid cream like loosen your skin or it's not good for your skin? And I remember him saying, well, on the top of your head, the skin is very thick, so it shouldn't cause any problems. And I, I wanted to be like, you are the doctor. Yeah. You shouldn't say shouldn't. Like, that's, that's not what I want to hear right now. So I went back to the doctor because I didn't like that answer. And I felt and I believed in my heart of hearts that that was not the only answer. And my grandpa, bless his heart, taught me, if you believe that something is not right, then don't take no for an answer. And I thought, I'm not, I'm not going to take this answer. This is not the only answer. I will not agree that steroids in any shape, way, or form are going to be the answer for my daughter. So back to the doctor we went. The doctor said to me, when I requested another appointment with the pediatrician, Jill, what are you hoping to get out of this? And I felt like, not a popped balloon, but when someone like slowly deflates the air out of a balloon. Are you kidding me? In my head, I said, what do you mean what am I hoping to get out of this? Clearly it's a different answer. But my mother taught me that not everyone appreciates my sarcasm (laughs) and that being polite can go further. So what actually came out of my mouth was, I would like to discuss other treatment options. (laughs) So she sent me back to the pediatrician who basically gave me the same answers. I said, that is not the course of action we are going to take. I will find something else. And the hardest part of the whole entire episode is what came next. She said to me, well, I'm not going to call you negligent. On a side note, the things that went through my head when she said that, you may have well just called me negligent. Mm -hmm. Then she said, I'm not going to call you negligent because you did not follow our medical direction 
but I am going to make note that you have chosen not to take our advice. Wow. I could still cry thinking that. All the things I could have said to her. I was born to be a mother. I'm made to do this. I know these children better than anyone in this world. And I know that that treatment is not what we're going to do. It does not mean I am negligent because I chose not to do it. I am going to find a different solution that is going to work and will not involve steroids. I'm sure there's people listening right now and they're thinking, I have, like, I've been in that, in that situation. Like I've been sitting in the doctor's office when they said my father or my mother or my kid or my spouse, this is the prescribed treatment. You have to do it. And they might've had a voice inside them that said, you know, there's a, there was an alarm going off. No, 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 that don't, don't follow that. But like, it's easy to think, well, these people, they went to medical school, mm-hmm. right? They, they've, they, you know, I don't have this training. I spent some time on Google, you know, like they obviously know the best thing. How do you, how would you advise them to move from a place of questioning the the professional and the specialist to being okay enough to trust your gut to, to seek out another option? Because that would be difficult, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I loved how you said trust your gut because so many people say trust your gut. And I absolutely feel that way. And it's not necessarily your gut in the physical form that you're trusting by any means it is your intuition and your intuition is absolutely speaking to you in those moments Mm -hmm. and too often we think well i don't know i'm not the professional or how can i trust my intuition or you know maybe i ate a cheeseburger and it's sitting funny (laughs) i don't know (laughs) there is a time and a place for medical advice and i would never advise someone to not seek medical advice but there are other options available. And I knew that. And I was not going to take their advice as black and white. That's it. This is my option or not. I was going to do my research and I was going to find out what the other options that were out there, what they were, what was viable for us, what we could afford and weigh everything out, consult with my gut. and figure out what was best for our family. Well, and speaking of negligent, it could be negligent just to never question or research mm-hmm. or, or you know, wonder if this is the best prescribed thing. Mm-hmm. It could be the opposite end of negligence in this example. Exactly. Right? Where someone is just like, oh, okay, they're the specialist. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, when do you know when to trust and and how do you move forward if, if you're not feeling that that's the, the best thing? And so where did that take you next? I spent a lot more time doing research, trying to find out the cause or what is known to be the causes of alopecia. An interesting, not so interesting, more annoying than interesting fact that came up is that alopecia is an autoimmune disease and having alopecia, especially early in life, can trigger other autoimmune diseases with no reason later in life. So on top of the worry that now we've got this alopecia, no clue where it came from, no clue how to deal with it, it it could trigger something else later in her life and we have no clue. But spending my time worrying about that is a waste of my imagination. And I would far rather imagine that she lives her life with a full head of hair 
and is happy as happy can be than having to deal with autoimmune diseases her whole life. So when the body is trying to process things that are causing implications on your system, an autoimmune, an autoimmunity will be that it kind of foregoes things that seem not important, like hair and nail growth. And I noticed when Isla started walking that her toenails would just chip and crack. And I rarely ever had to cut them. I just had to cut the jagged edge off of one that cracked. And I wasn't really sure why. I hadn't done a whole lot of research into that at that point. I just thought she had weak nails. Even to this point now, at seven years old, I've probably had to cut her fingernails less than a dozen times. And I mean, I need to cut her brother. Well, he does his himself now, but like every couple of weeks they need to be cut. So when we found out about the alopecia, light bulbs went off about the nails, hair and nail growth. Okay, they go hand in hand. So now I know the cause behind this. So these sort of light bulbs started to go off. I was thinking, okay, well, what if we did like a, a test, one of those biology tests that you can get in the mail where they like scrape your tongue and you poke yourself and give them a bit of blood and they kind of like an ancestry thing, but they tell mm -hmm. you all the things you're deficient in. And I was in the process of, of researching those when one of my girlfriends talked about a natural path that she had seen and she had sent another friend to and had amazing results for different reasons. But I thought, Hey, like, why, why not? This is going to have to come out of our pocket, but I mean, money at this point is not really an object to us. We really just want to find out what's going on with Isla. And to did, the... Did you have any doubts with, with the naturopath? Like some people have, you know, they're like, well, it's not conventional medical mm. procedures. So, you know, there's a lot of misinformation about naturopaths. Any, you know, inhibitions or anything towards seeking that out? No only because I have experience with natural paths okay. and I like to take a look at health holistically and wholly by seeing the doctor. Okay, we've got the advice from the doctor. We know what's behind that door. Let's go to the natural path. We'll see what's behind that door. If I don't like his answer, then we'll go to door number three and see what's behind that door. So I take little bits from everybody and do what I think is best and follow that intuition so to this day, I will absolutely call him an angel. He is an absolute angel, that man. So our friend referred us to Dr. Yam, who calls himself the Yammer. He's adorable. <laughs> and uh, he's here in Victoria. And so we made an appointment to go see him. He ran some very real blood tests. It was not any sort of hokey hooker up to this crazy machine I made in my garage. Nothing like that. Is that a thing? Uh, it could be. I don't know. <laughs> okay. It's probably a narrative out there somewhere. <laughs> yeah. that that's what natural medicine is. Yeah, yeah sure. absolutely. So he had um, like a, a person on staff who does the blood work. So they ran some blood work and we went back for our follow-up visit to find out that Isla's system was basically leaking sugar into her bloodstream. Wow. Yeah, and this was causing yeast to grow in her bloodstream mm. and bacteria to form. So her body was spending a lot of energy trying to deal with that and in turn was kind of revoking the energy it was putting into mm. hair and nail growth. Mm. And at the time I was like, okay, this sounds viable. This sounds like what actually 
could be happening. I'm not going to put all my eggs in this basket, but let's hear what he has to say. So his treatment plan involved massaging a natural, 100% natural cream into Isla's hair on a daily basis to stimulate the hair growth and brushing her hair for like longer periods of time, um, especially into the scalp, just to kind of help the blood flow and whatnot, which I mean, it's, it's good to brush your hair anyway. So I was, she loves it. She loves just sitting there and she, I kind of methodically brush her hair and she zones out and we chit chat and whatnot. Um, the next thing was to eliminate processed sugar from her diet, which in a four-year-old with a brother who's six and a half is a little mm -hmm. bit tricky, mm -hmm. but we knew that we had to, it had to be done. We had to drastically reduce her natural sugar intake. I got a whole whack load of education in food and nutrition. And not that we were uneducated before. We tend to eat quite healthy, but realizing how much sugar is in even just fruit, in natural, natural sugars and fruit. And in doing so, we eliminated a lot of food coloring from her diet too. And it's funny when we were talking about Advil earlier, mm -hmm. um, because Advil, the liquid ones are green yeah. and the Tylenols are red, a lot of them. And even prenatal vitamins when I was taking them coated mm. in pink. Mm -hmm. It's just absolutely absurd how much artificial coloring is in our food and is affecting our bodies in ways that we don't know. Now you're freaking me out even more about Sorry. my Advil. Sorry. <laughs> I didn't want to take it. Okay. <laughs> Although it is healthy. I was panicking. <laughs> but, but cherry jello, that's like naturally red, right? Yeah. I think so. There's yeah. cherries in it, obviously. Uh, yes. Yep. <laughs> okay, I'm okay then. I started picking up stuff. I mean, they say you should shop on the outside edges of the grocery store anyway, but I started just picking up stuff that we would normally buy and just reading the ingredients and the amount of food coloring in like cake mixes and the jello. Mm -hmm. And not that we were eating a ton of those, but the point is it's all in there and things that you don't anticipate it's going to be in there. Hey, you ever go to Whole Foods, by the way? <laughs> <laughs> Are you sponsored by Whole Foods? Because I heard this on a previous podcast. We always bring it back to Whole Foods, don't <laughs> The we? future us is sponsored by Whole Foods. Yeah. That's, that's where we first started recording. Oh, really? Which is a terrible idea. Oh, right? yes. Because is besides, you, like, you don't have permission. <laughs> yeah, that too. <laughs> but but also we had a laptop. Yeah, mm -hmm. but we already talked about that. Something I'm curious about is how you sift through the information. Yeah. Because we see, we have access to anything. We have access to, you know, Google can tell us anything in, mm -hmm. in less than half a second. And so how do you know that that information that you're seeking out to do the research, to do your diligence, to be the best mom that you can possibly be, how do you know that it's, it's genuine and and useful and it's not you know the anti-vaccination movement mm, or yeah. or something that there there's another kind of angle or motivation behind that that is driving their their campaign how do you how do you go about that there's a few different things the first one is going to make me sound like a super hippie but it's intuition uh, it's doing a whack load of comparing what is going to work for my family? What is going to work for me? And trusting that I know what is right. And a good example of that would be when we were sleep training my son. I mean, sleep training in itself is controversial. So you have to figure out, okay, is this going to work for my family? Is this what I believe in? I read tons of articles. I read a few books. None of the methods felt like they were going to work for me and our family 
So I took a little bit of each of them and put them together. And it ended up being one of the best things we had done for our son, for our marriage. Like we were sleeping again. It was amazing. (laughs) So just being able to decipher the information and trust that you can you can come up with the solution based on the knowledge that you've been given. Well, and I, I do, you know, speaking of knowledge, I, I do want to deal with what you said a couple minutes ago about not wanting to sound like a hippie about intuition. I mean, let's be honest. Intuition is a very viable mm-hmm. way of determining and making decisions. Um, it, this is not you just closing your eyes and humming and then just spinning around and being like, okay, let's do this. It feels right. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're still engaged. You're yes. still researching. You're still talking to experts. Mm-hmm. But it's it's part of our decision-making process as a human being. Thank you for that. You articulated that beautifully. Thank that you. is exactly what I was going to say next. Okay, so so you started using this natural cream. Mm-hmm. And what what were the results? Did it take... Did it take time to you, for you to see? So we had a results? follow-up visit with Dr. Yam two months after we started the whole natural process of treating her alopecia. Within six weeks, her hair started to grow back. Wow. Yeah. Before we even had our next visit, her hair started to grow back. We had talked about cutting her hair really short so that it would all kind of grow back together Um, but she bless her heart has always wanted Rapunzel's hair so we left it growing and Isla celebrated her seventh birthday last month with a full head of hair and through listening to Walt Disney and not wasting my imagination Mm -hmm. worrying about it I am confident that she will not have issues going forward in life because I mean, I'm, I'm a strong believer that we create our own reality. And if we spend all this time worrying about it, then there's a potential that we're manifesting it to happen. And mm-hmm. I would rather, as I said before, I would rather spend my time envisioning how amazing her life can be than what, could, what the alternative could be. We talked earlier about turning that worry into something else. And the way you just described that, it it sounds like that's exactly what you've done. You've taken that worry and and turned it into positive intention. Mm -hmm. And you took action as well. You you refused to sit with that worry, take the first opinion, kind of even though you had doubt. And I think it's a really inspiring image and idea that as a mother or or in, in any situation that when you encounter it the first step was to take action and when we sit with emotions and thoughts especially if they're negative they can take over and they can immobilize us until we start taking that action and doing something about it so i just want to applaud that perspective that you took and encountered those those doubts and fears and and you weren't paralyzed and and set back by them you went and and did what you felt was right with all of the information that you had available so thank you thank you that feels really good i feel like i have stuffed all of it down because it was such an emotional time and talking it through with my husband before coming on here i was like a baby crying not realizing how much emotion i still had several years later uh, about 
going through that with her and how traumatic it was for me and for us and for our family. So thank you well, very and, much. And when you, like Andrew said, when you embrace your pain, instead of running from it or insulating yourself from it, taking a pill or, or you know, mm-hmm. trying to escape from it, you're able to move forward. But then also, um, as we talk about with a hero's journey, you know, when you come on here and share your story and say, here, here's what I learned on my jur- obstacle journey, mm-hmm. then other people listening draw courage from you. They wow, think that's powerful. They do. They draw courage from you. They think if she could do it, maybe I could do it. And the, the reality is we can all do it. Mm-hmm. So I want to go back just a little second, just for a bit. Um, another thing that happens along all our obstacle journeys is we all experience a dark night of the soul. You know, a dark night of the soul, it sounds dramatic. It just means some people refer to it as a rock bottom moment. What did that look like for you in, in this journey? And when did it occur? It definitely occurred the day that I had to call my husband in to bath her because I was the bather. I I was the one who went in and spent that time with her because she would sing to me every single time I bathed her. And having to call him in and have him take over for a period of time, like it was a couple of months that he had to do it for me because I was so petrified that her hair would come out in my hands the way that it had been and that there would be a time that there would be no hair left for me to wash. And then would would she still sing to me, you know, like Mm, it, mm -hmm. there was so many emotions with it and just sitting outside that bathroom door and sobbing and trying to be quiet because she was on the other side of it, laughing away and splashing with her dad. And now that I think about it, I don't know where my son was in that picture. I blocked that out. (laughs) He was safe somewhere, I swear. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, that was that was that dark moment. And Mm. I allowed my imagination to run away with me that Day and I I sat there crying so hard thinking about what the worst could be mm-hmm. and then at the end of it was like okay let's brush this off it's time to move on what's the next step you know it's interesting um, the um, potential good part of any rock bottom moment is it's f- for people who when they feel all hope is gone if you think about it it, it could be the first solid place they have to finally stand up and, and move mm-hmm, on. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And, and you don't know that at the time when you're laying down on the floor. But it is, it is a moment where you are forced to choose. Will I stay on the floor, so to speak? Mm-hmm. Or will I get up and move forward and embrace this terrifying thought mm-hmm. or, re, or situation and move forward? To finding resolution mm-hmm. and that that's such a critical part of the journey and, and it's easy for us to get stuck there sometimes and we're all there for different time periods sometimes it takes people a week sometimes it's just an hour sometimes it's months but the crucial thing like you've learned with every obstacle is to get up and move forward mm-hmm. but it floors us all mm-hmm. and that, that is a common theme for all of us on the journey is is there are moments when you're floored but that is not the end of the story mm-hmm. absolutely it's, these obstacles are so huge sometimes that it feels like to go from A being now to B being the other side of the obstacle is next to impossible. And like how, what does life look like when Isla has a full head of hair again and I'm not crying every day? And breaking it down into baby steps 
And okay, what's the next thing we're going to do? The next thing is not going to be me on the other side, smiling with her with a full head of hair. But what is the very next thing? Mm -hmm. And then what's the thing after that? And the thing after that? Because one day, yes, we're going to be at the other side of this. But breaking it down into smaller, simpler steps. I do this with a lot of things and being able to write it out. And okay, what's the next step? And what could the next step be? Is has been really helpful. Well, and that's what the therapist did with your son. Yes, absolutely. The exact same thing. Yeah. You know, this huge thing and break, break it, it down. down. Yeah. And carry that positive intention along with you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It seems like even in those dark times, you were still able to get back to, okay, this is the life that my family is going to lead and we will get there and we will find the right path and mm-hmm. that will get us there. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I'm curious what gifts you received from Isla during that whole ordeal that you're still carrying with you now? Oh man, that is a beautiful question. One thing that has really stuck with me is a story from high school. There was a girl whose hair looked like she was wearing a wig. I have no idea if it was a wig or not to this day. It just looked like she was wearing a wig. And not that we were like the mean girls, like, look at that girl with the wig. But I always thought, you know, and I'm sure I said on occasion, like, that girl's hair, it looks like she's wearing a wig. And I judged her for it. And going through what I went through with Isla and realizing that perhaps at some point she may have to wear a wig, would there be girls like me who were judging her and making speculations about why or why not she had the wig or what? her hair look like and I had remorse because I don't know the obstacles that that girl was facing I don't know if she had alopecia or even had cancer for that matter I have no idea that could have been her actual hair who cares so one thing one major thing that came out of the situation with Isla is we don't know what people are going through we don't know the way, why they are the way they are. And behind it could be a really emotional story that they're going through with their entire family or their entire network of their support team. And by judging them is totally unacceptable. And that would be a massive takeaway. In a place where judgment can be so easy, choosing to avoid it is a way better solution. Yeah, we never understand what perspective and what story uh, another person has. And we, we can't possibly until we've actually walked in their footsteps. So I think that's a, a beautiful takeaway. And it, it inspires us to understand people better. Mm-hmm. But another another takeaway is after going through this massive obstacle, this obstacle that had you laying on the floor, you know, at, at your, you know, weeping with this fear and this, this um, compassion you had for, for your daughter and you were able to rise and move forward, more obstacles are coming. Spoiler alert. Mm-hmm. You know, we're never done. We mm-hmm. never arrive, you know, but when they do come, you, you'll remember well, you know what? I've been here before. Mm-hmm. I've been on the floor before feeling like I can't move forward in my thoughts or in this day. 
but I can now and I'll be able to handle it. And mm-hmm. so you get obst- obstacle training through this. Yes, you get re- it's resilience training. Yeah. And then the next time it hits, bounce back a bit faster. Yes, absolutely. Right? Bounce back faster. You learn. Life doesn't get easier. You just get stronger as, mm-hmm. as the meme is online. <laughs> no, but it's so true. That's a meme. That's true, actually. <laughs> and now yeah. here you are starting a business. Yeah. You've started a business in the last couple of years and, and you have that resilience training that you've been through and while it's a completely different set of circumstances resilience as we've spoken about is a habit and a skill that is built just like you know doing doing chin-ups or those weird push-ups you're doing this morning you're telling us about (laughs) exactly (laughs) doing doing whatever what what whatever habits you practice you you become more adept at them and if Mm -hmm. it's thinking negatively you're going to get more adept at thinking negatively Mm -hmm. for sure well one of the reasons we brought jill on was was i was sitting in the room the day in toastmasters when she got up and tried to explain what she just explained in 45 minutes in five minutes while people were counting her ums and ahs in the time (laughs) wasn't intimidating at all (laughs) a beautiful speech she absolutely nailed it and and i literally uh, you know probably scared her at the end because i sort of just ran up to her and i was like you're gonna come on the podcast she's like you have a podcast (laughs) i'm john by the way (laughs) and uh i'm so glad you came on because i think so many of our listeners will will relate to your story in many many ways but thank you so much for having the courage to come on and share I have no doubt that we'll see you on TED one day. <laughs> Thank you. And, and we'll be like, yeah, she was on the podcast. You know? <laughs> and you don't have to say when you're in the middle of your speech, Obstacle Course Podcast, you know, if it wasn't for them, I want to be here today. <laughs> but if you did, whatever. I mean, we'll just leave that with you. Maybe it was one of the steps in your plan that you carved out. Toastmasters, Obstacle Course. Yeah. Yes, TEDx. it was. Right? Yep. Maybe, Absolutely. probably, whatever. But we look, we look forward to, to that one day. That's That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Thank you. This has been an absolute pleasure. Well, that's the episode. Thanks so much for tuning in, everyone. We appreciate your time and attention. If we can make one request, please subscribe. How do you do that, John? They push subscribe. That's all you got to do. We also got social media, guys. We got Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Please like us and follow us there. We also got a really fancy website. ObstacleCoursePodcast.com. That is the one. It's where you'll find our show notes and lots of other goodies. And if you have somebody who'd be great for the podcast, please let us know. Send us a message on any of those networks and we'll bring them on. Mm -hmm, For sure. We're always looking for good people. Thanks for listening. Keep pushing through those obstacles.